<laughs> no, this is thinking religion. Okay, that's good to clarify before we get started what show we're actually doing. Well, I mean, we're recording now, but I mean, you remember the show, right? It was the one in, I mean, you, you've been on it before. I have been on it. I was on the Christmas Extravaganza, I think it was called. Yeah, but you were on it back in like way early before that even. Ah, when we came to Columbia to see Thomas and Trinity. Yeah, yeah, we did a we did a live show that was terrible. I think we took that one down. I don't think you can you can find that one on the on the iTunes. Really? Maybe. I mean, I, I've got archives of all of them, but there are some of the earlier shows with uh, lots of. The lost episode. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and you have to pay extra for that. But you know where it probably is. It's probably um, in the archives on Oak Island. Well, you know they, they they broke through the chapel vault, so they're trying to figure out what's in there um, because the case. It's the lost on. recording of the that thinking religion. Yeah, exactly. Like we along we with the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail and the lost works lost works of uh, Shakespeare. Are up there as well. All of them are on Oak Island. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So, how are you? I'm good. You know, you're you're uh, getting a, a little dangerous here, asking a preacher who hasn't preached in three weeks to be on an episode of Thinking Religion. I know, and I have to live with you too. So, I mean, I, I get preached at daily, but you know, I have to do a podcast with you. Well, all those words have to go somewhere. I mean, they don't just disappear so because you- you're on maternity leave. So what are you thinking about? Well, I have a couple questions for you. I'm thinking about this Instagram Bible study you're doing. How's that going? <laughs> it's not an Instagram Bible study. It's it's. Oh, that's what I call it. Yeah, I mean, I just started, I don't know, what late last year. I mean, it's something I've, I've been doing for years, you know, like in terms of making my own little um, Bible read-along thing. And I kind of adopted it from one out of an old – Cokesbury Bible that I bought before I went off to be a, a summer camp counselor. And uh, yeah, one night I was like, oh, this is a really interesting verse. I, sh- I should post this up for my, my Insta followers. And it just kind of took off. And now it's got its own little life. And it's, it's, it's a major obligation that I have to do every night at eight o'clock. <laughs> you so do because people look for it. And when we were in the hospital having a baby, they were like, where, where, where is the Bible study? I want to know. I know I should have scheduled some beforehand. Um, no, I mean, it, it's silly. And, you know, I, I've, I've published my read along calendar uh, as a Google doc. So people can go in and, and follow along if you want to read what, what I'm reading. Um, but, but, you know, basically it's, it's how to read the Bible in a year. Uh, so like last night, uh, it was the, uh, the communion in Matthew, you know, where he breaks the bread. And, you know, as you go along and you read these snippets of the Bible, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a few verses and sometimes it's three chapters out of Exodus. So you have to be careful. Um, but, you know, but as you do this, throughout the year like it just kind of spurs memories and reminders and and, and that kind of thing in your head that that you might not otherwise um think of so it's it's a fun practice but you know but reading the bible is a dangerous thing so you have to be careful if you're going to do it okay so one of my favorite shows is of course gilmore girls as you know and uh lane who is miss kim's daughter is famously seventh day adventist and she says um, her potential boyfriend wants to come and ask her to prom. And so her mom 
gives the potential boyfriend and prom date a quote and he has no idea where it's from. And so he just assumes that it's from the Bible. And so he stays up all night reading the Bible one night, the whole thing and comes back to the mom and says, I read through the whole Bible. Like the whole Bible or well, I mean, supposedly, right. It's a TV show. And so he comes back to the mom and he says, I read the whole Bible. I can't find this anywhere. And she said, wow, you read the whole Bible in one night. I myself have only done that three times in my life. And it ends up that the quote is actually not from the Bible, but from a famous rock song or something. And he's exhausted and disheveled and all of this, but he's read the Bible for one night. Yeah. yeah. It's like God helps those who help themselves type thing. Yeah. So I had a Bible that was a one-year Bible, and the goal was to read through the Bible in a year. This was a big thing when I was in middle school, high school. Yeah, I didn't put it on me, and that's why I'm doing it, and that's why I've done it like for the last 20 years. <laughs> but it was an actual Bible that had it divided up into daily selections that was an Old Testament reading, a Psalm, and a New Testament, which interestingly... I grew up Southern Baptist, and so I didn't understand that this is kind of like the lectionary that you have three different selections. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know it, it, it's funny when you grow up Baptist because we emphasize reading the Bible, you know. And even before I, you know, quote became a Christian or got saved or whatever, like when we started going to church, it was a big deal for me to get a Bible, right? So like, like mom had a Bible, dad had a Bible, I had a Bible. And this was supposed to be the lamp into your path and, you know, God into your feet and all that kind of stuff. We, we pledge allegiance to the Bible. And uh, when you went to, when you went to uh, summer uh, Bible camp, what, what's it called? Uh, Jesus. Vacation Bible School. <laughs> vacation Bible School. Sorry. Uh, you know, when you go to vac- vacation Bible school, you know, you, you, um, you, you carry your Bible, right? And it's got to be your Bible. You can't just go borrow somebody's Bible, you know, it'd be like wearing somebody's underwear. So, <laughs> You know, for, for me, it became this personal thing, and I still have that same Bible. Um, and, and it was KJV, of course, and all that stuff. But, you know, we as Baptists really push that. But then at the same time, we don't necessarily give people the tools or, or the whereabouts, you know, on, on how to approach it. So, that, I mean, that's part of what I'm doing, too, is like, you know, I, I would love to create like a thinking lectionary or something like that where – you know, there, there are little snippets of, of thoughts and whatever about, about each passage, but the way I've structured my little Bible read-through in the year is very specific to me. Um, so it, it does start with Matthew, and it starts with Genesis, and you kind of work your way through the New Testament, you work your way through the Old Testament. But I throw in things like the Apocrypha and, and some other readings, and there's a letter from a Birmingham jail in there. There's something from Mark, uh, Malcolm X in there, because I consider those things, you know, sort of gospel. Um, so for me, like being able to read that text in a personalized fashion in the course of a year is really important, but I, I don't think enough people really think about it that way. And, and the danger that we get into as, as Protestants or, or as Catholics is that we, we, we pick our favorite verses and we keep going back to those and we kind of cherry pick like, oh, well, I'm feeling, feeling depressed. So let me get read this part of proverbs or you know i'm feeling uh, you know optimistic let me get read this part of john or you, you know what i mean so I, I, I do know what you mean because that's what we were taught like if you don't know where to start with your quiet time which is what we called bible study or personal devotion time or meditation or whatever you want to call it 
you should always start with Psalms and Proverbs. And so when I was growing up, if you didn't have any place to start or you didn't have a daily Bible reflection that you were using, then you read Proverbs and it was the chapter based on the date. And so today, for instance, would be Proverbs 7. And then you also read Psalms 7. And then you, but obviously there's more. I mean, if you have a month that has 31 days, then Proverbs works out very nicely, but you end up reading the wisdom literature over and over again and not even trying to address the other text. Wait, wait. So, so what do you mean you, you read by date? So today's the February the 7th. So you right. read Proverbs 7? Proverbs 7 and then Psalm 7, Psalm 77 too. Oh, okay. If you were really ambitious and you wanted to read three chapters of the Bible. But but you never get to like Psalm 121. Right. And you never get to anything except the wisdom literature and part of the wisdom literature, right? So, I mean, this was the encouragement in order to try to approach the Bible in a way that, like, where do you start? Right? This is the question a lot of people ask. Do you start at Genesis? Do you start at Matthew? Do you start with Psalm? And how does it all fit together? And so, you know, just, you know, very well that just recently I took a new pastorate at a UCC church and I found out I did (laughs) in January. So I found out that they have for their Bible study on Wednesday night, they have been literally going chapter by chapter through the Bible. And so they started in Genesis a year and a half ago, and now they're in second Samuel. And it's the first time that I've been to a I'm trying to think of a church where Bible study was studying the Bible. There's so many Bible studies I've been a part of, but it always has a book or a guide. Hey, and it, we've course, done that at your, both of your previous churches. That was Sunday school. Right. That wasn't Bible study. No, I see. I see what you're saying. Okay. Right. So Wednesday night is typically in a lot of traditions, the Bible study hour. Yeah. Although my, my year and a half exposition on Acts was pretty fun. <laughs> year, <laughs> yeah, that. just a year and a half. They've made it all the way through Second Samuel. You made it through Acts. <laughs> I loved sitting in your Sunday school class in Acts, though, because you would always begin and you would say, all right, we're going to get through this. And everybody by week three just laughed because they knew you wouldn't get through but 12 verses or something. You were there's like, there's a lot of Greek. In Acts, yeah. We're going to do four chapters today. I was like, no, you're not. You're not. It's an important book. But there is, don't you think that there's a significant shift in at least Protestant traditions that you don't study the Bible, you study other, what other people have written about the Bible. And so you study this curriculum. Yeah, I I think that was the case for a lot of, okay, I'm just going to say it, like baby boomers, right? So so I, I think baby boomers, really got into the curriculum side, whether it was Cokesbury or Lifeway or the Upper Room. Um, I, I dated a, a Methodist uh, uh, person when I was in high school and, and she was, uh, or they were very big into the Upper Room. So we always read the Upper Room and I was always like, well, can we can we read the Bible verse associated with this? Because, you know, <laughs> like this is someone's commentary. Um, and I, I, I am sort of in that Gen X millennial or whatever and I think like my generation and definitely your generation like the pure millennials and then gen z and the folks after you are going to move back to kind of getting to the quote original text 
rather than just reading commentary or just reading those types of guides? Um, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think it's because at least in the millennial generation, we've been told what to think and what to believe, yeah, especially right. if you grew up Southern Baptist, like Thomas, I know Thomas and I have talked about this plenty of times mm-hmm. is you get told what to believe instead of getting invited to discover and uncover what the biblical text holds. Yeah. So, right. you know, there's a lot that was used against me as a woman that I am now interested in and I want to investigate, right? Especially some of these New Testament epistles. Like, is this what the Bible really says? Is this not? And I think if you've had that experience where the biblical text has been used against you in some way, you do have a natural kind of curiosity about, wait, why did this interpretation arise? Is this the only interpretation? Yeah. And and I think there's a generational shift too. I mean, not just the, you know, I mean, you've got the Me Too movement, you've got, um, you know, this, this idea of, of, you know, looking at claims, looking at privilege and and thinking about where someone's writing from, Um, you know, like in my little CBF cooperative Baptist world, not yours anymore. We, (laughs) uh, you know, we, we have things like uh, in our, in our state newsletter, we have mission bites and it's, it's words from, uh, you know, different people, you know, about mission stuff. And it, some of it's kind of nice because it's, it's actual, you know, missionary talking, but sometimes it's, it's, you know, kind of that commentary stuff and it doesn't feel as authentic. So I think that authenticity is, is really driving a lot of the societal change, whether it's you know, kind of going back to the Bible and saying like, no, no, our, you know, our youth Sunday school group or our young professional Sunday school group, we're, we're actually going to read the Bible. Um, whether it's that or, it's okay. Well, I, I want to invest in stocks. I'm not going to go call my uncle's friend, you know, Sal, who is a stockbroker. I'm actually going to, you know, download Robinhood and buy some Snapchat stocks, you know, because I can do that right now. Um, or I'm going to invest using Betterment. Or you know, I'm I'm going I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, create my own LLC through LegalZoom. I'm not going to, you know, call up a lawyer and, and go through that route. You know, th- there's this kind of disruption feel to a lot of what's going on society wise. And um, I, I think the Bible is, is going to be a part of that as well for, for a lot of young people. Um, I saw a, a thing on Twitter yesterday about uh, groups um, who, who are meeting and, and playing music and, and it, it sounds kind of like a Hillsong type experience, you know, but they're, they're reading inspirational quotes and they're playing music and they're getting together on Sunday mornings as kind of a, a quasi church, but there, but it's not a religious meeting, you know, it's right. kind of a, a, like an outreach spot or, or, I mean, like here, like I'm, I'm in a big co-working space, you know, and, and the idea of me being a freelancer, entrepreneur, business owner, whatever, but going to, you know, work alongside people who kind of do the same thing I do, who speak my lang- language and lingo and, you know, we, we all communicate on Slack and we're all sitting together, but we don't look up from our <laughs> monitors. Um, you know, that, that kind of a, an experience. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be a, a big deal for religion. And I don't think the baby boomers or the modern sort of church as it is, is, is really equipped to handle that either, you know, cause they're, they're so set in that, um, no, you know, here's the curriculum, here's our Sunday school curriculum. Here's our, you know, uh, adult ministries curriculum. Here's our, our lectionary for this. And, and this is what we're going to follow. Um, and I think that turns away just as many people as, as, you know, hip, hypocrisy or anything else. 
Well, yeah. And I would say, you know, from the preaching standpoint, there are a lot of us who use the lectionary, but don't necessarily follow narratively the same uh, book in the lectionary. And so, for instance, I might preach from the gospel text one week and then skip back to the Old Testament text and then skip to the psalm. And so you're not having that continuity of following the narrative all the way through. And last year I did this for the first time in a long time as I jumped from the lectionary and preached all the way through the book of James. And I still have people who tell me about that series, if you want to call it that, (laughs) where we studied one book in worship all together. And I thought, you know, this is, I mean, seeing what you're doing on Instagram, but also having this time that I'm not preaching, I'm thinking about the Lenten. And we, and we do, you know, we follow the lectionary and we follow the, the narrative of the gospels in these high holy seasons, but really it's a conglomeration of different texts during the ordinary times or the down times between these high holy seasons. And you have to wonder, you know, is this, is preaching from this certain passage an invitation to have people go and investigate more or is it producing confusion because you're jumping from place to place? And I think this is something that ministers and preachers especially wrestle with, you know, as they're making their plans for, you know, what their, what passage they're going to focus on during worship. It's hard. It is. It is. And I I think, you know, social media also makes it interesting or more complicated. If, if you're listening and playing the drinking game, you can drink because I said interesting. Um, but but I think that when people become accustomed, church people, people that go to church often, that, that follow, you know, pastors on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, when you are seeing these, you know, kind of high-profile pastors – talk about their upcoming sermon and they've got a flashy, you know, Facebook video or Instagram video or, or, you know, the the cute Instagram little card with the, you know, with the script and it's got a passage and it says, you know, come to our church. We're going to be talking about living in a sinful world, you know, the Sunday or whatever, Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, I don't know what that is. Don't, don't quote me on that. But you know, when, when people see that and then they go to church and their pastor preaches on, you know, Leviticus 19.12, and it's like, uh, okay, well, you know, that pastor's preaching on that thing over there that looks really, you know, fun and, and, and glitzy. Maybe I should go check that out or watch his Facebook Live or her Facebook Live um, stream rather than, you know, coming here because this, you know, gosh, we're, you know, why did this pastor decide to preach on this part about, you know, righteousness and justification or something? Um but, you know, I, I think that plays into it as well in terms of people not, I don't say like cafeteria picking, you know, churches, but in, in terms of messaging, you know, like it's, again, when I was a kid, you, you went to the Baptist church or the Methodist church or, or maybe the Presbyterian church and each one of those preachers had their own thing, but you, that's what you got and you didn't complain. Right. You know, whereas now people are like, I don't know if I like that message. Uh, you know, um, you know, I heard this other preacher doing this other thing and, and, you know, it's just so much easier to have access to content now. And it's, it's not a devaluation of expertise, but it's, again, that kind of societal shift over to the democratization of information and knowledge and, and being able to study the Bible or being able to, you know, watch a pastor in Seattle, you know, preach at a megachurch that 
churches just haven't had to deal with before. You know, they they were the only game in town, and you, of course you wouldn't dare like, you know, double think the bishop or the priest or the minister or the or the preacher. <laughs> you know, it was, that was part of the church experience. And if, if it was a bad sermon, it was a bad sermon. But you know, now that's that's part of the preacher's bonus. So that preacher has to make sure that they're doing what they need to do to uh, keep people engaged and and hashtagging their 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 sermons yeah or commenting on the facebook live stream right like how many hearts did you get how many how many thumbs up did you get yeah i mean i've heard that before like churches say like oh well we only had like 16 likes on the the engagement (laughs) that's like don't that's not what this is for yeah and then you have other churches that want to scramble their wi-fi in their sanctuary so that people don't have access to getting online so you have kind of two extremes i think but the interesting thing is, you know, with the social media, oh, now you've got me saying interesting. This yeah. is not a drink. <laughs> so one of the things that is fascinating about the current context we live in is people can access the religion or worship when they want to. Right. Right. So I can go online and I can, um, even if I go on YouTube, I can, I can pray up uh, play a whole worship series or a whole worship album and have my praise and worship time, you know, that I don't have to go to church in order to experience, right? I can have my own mini church here sitting at our kitchen table. And so that's something that churches, I agree, haven't figured out, you know, how do we provide um, ongoing kind of support and engagement and invitations to dig deeper using these tools while also making the coming together and the community worship something that people value as well. And yeah. I don't, I don't think we've figured that out. I really don't, you know, okay. So let's just add a live book, uh, a Facebook live stream or YouTube live stream because that's what everybody's doing. Well, that's not a, actually a good reason to do it. Right. So yeah, I think this and, is something that we're all wrestling with. So uh, in, in my mind, you, you've, it's kind of a binary option. I don't, I don't, I don't think you can mix it up in the middle. I, I think you either you go all in and your church, um, you know, does the, the live streaming thing and, and you include a Slack channel for people who want to do that. And you have a Twitter account and Instagram account. You're, you're really all in or you go the other route and you say, you know, church is countercultural. Like you come here right. and you experience this in this way, which also is very attractive. Um, but I don't think you can mix the two. You know, I think it has to do with, with the personality of the church. Uh-huh. So, you know, even though I'm, I'm Mr. Tech and social media and I've been doing this stuff for 15 years now and you know, I was looking at Reddit the other day and I've been on Reddit since 2004, you know, it was in beta. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, that's, that's a long time. Um, it, you know, it, it's like, why don't churches have subreddits? But then at the same time, I think, you know what? Church should be a, a place of solace and worship. And it's somewhere where you go to do something. And I think that's part of what a lot of churches, especially in our, in my Baptist world are, are missing uh, in, in terms of the marketing and the messaging It's saying like, we're, we're not trying to be all things, to all people, you know, you come here and you worship God and we don't, really care about how many likes or hearts we get uh but at the same time you know we, we are open to every you know that kind of a message that that's a little countercultural, but also inviting at the same time because i think that's that's 
really the path that that some of these struggling churches I see could could go and and make some inroads instead of trying to say like oh I've got to be on Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook and you know it's everyone's getting exhausted from that and social media is going to change so much in the next five years anyway so if you're just getting a website now like kudos but that's not really going to help you in terms of where you're going to be in five years yeah and I think you know you have kind of uncovered something with this nightly kind of check-in right the the beautiful thing about what you're doing is that it's not long it's a snippet and it is an association that you have oftentimes to your personal life or to another text that you've read or a song or an experience that you've had in church or you know growing up or something like that and that is really inviting to people and this is what i think the that we're missing as a whole is we as a church aren't teaching people how to take in the scripture and interpret that ourselves, right? We value in the Baptist world. That's one of the things that we value is, um, you know, that I can interpret scripture the way I can, but I haven't, nobody's taught me how to do that. Like, how do you interpret scripture? How do you apply it to your life? How does, you know, the scripture kind of guide you in regards to ethical dilemmas or decision making or parenting or being a friend to people like we haven't taught people how to do that we've told people they can do it but we haven't we, we're missing out on the teaching aspect of, of how how does this thought process work and i go back to my teaching days when i was teaching third graders how to read and they teach you a, a technique that's called think aloud and so literally i would tell the students what my brain was doing in order to interpret or guess a word that I didn't know how to pronounce or teaching them how to think about these things. And this is something I think in all of the midst of our curriculum, we haven't really taught people how to do themselves. How do you take a text? How do you, you know, look at it? How do you make connections with other texts? Nobody knows how to do that in my experience. Yeah, connections are really the the key to everything, whether you're learning or, or teaching or whatever. You know, it's it's being able to apply, right? Um, well, and your application isn't going to be the same as my application, and yeah, that's okay. Exactly. And actually, your application of this passage that you read last night, for instance, isn't going to be the same as when you read that in college and you're reading your notes. Is it going to remind you of that experience? Yeah, but your life is different now. And that's, you know, one of the things that I have a problem with when people talk about, um, you know, the unchanging word of God. I'm like, no, actually it's living, it's living and it's breathing. And the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us to, you know, what it means right here, right now, what it means when we have us, the state of the union address that we had on Tuesday night, like all of that impacts how we read the scripture and that's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's. I was exactly going to say that, but not only with the interpretation and, you know, our, our own readings of, 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 you know, biblical passage or text or whatever, but also within the Bible itself, you know, if you just start with Genesis and start reading, it, it only takes a little bit for God to change God's mind, um, you know, at the end of chapter two, going into chapter three, and then, you know, Moses changes God's mind, and then Abraham changes God's mind, you know, like we, we get these constant sort of um, uh, riffs on, on 
you know, on a theme or, or we see character development with Joseph or with Samuel or, you know, with, with David, God, God knows with David, um, you know, and, and we get this um, reminder, I think, if, if, if you actually read the Bible, that this thing is a living text in a way yeah. that we don't give it credence for, but, uh, you know, and, and Jesus did the same thing. I mean, Yes. You know, and uh, you're referring to Paul and an eye for an eye. But I say, you know, Jesus is, he's not just throwing out aphorisms, like he's citing Torah and directly contradicting it with new teaching. And it's the same thing that rabbis were doing in the second, third, fourth, fifth centuries as, you know, we were developing, you know, the Mishnah and and, and more, you know, Talmudic uh, writings and and that sort of thing in, in the Jewish tradition. So this is a, a, a very ancient way to approach the text. And in a modern scientific sort of clinical world, we've, we've tried to anesthetize the text to the point where, you know, you can write a prescription and say, oh, you don't feel good? Well, here, go read this from Proverbs. Or, oh, you're having a baby? Here, go read this from, from the Psalms. And that's not okay. You know, like it, it's, it's not a rule book. It's not a prescription book. And it's not something that you can just kind of pluck because – you know, John three sixteen, yeah, sure it has eternal truth, whatever. But like, it also has some other subtle things in there that might mean different things to different people, depending on your privilege and your status and, and your socioeconomic place and all of those things. Um, and it also has John three fifteen and John three seventeen, right? Exactly. This is the thing that we don't do. And I can remember growing up when I heard preaching and teaching. Oftentimes, it was one verse from one chapter from one book here, one verse from one chapter from one book here, and you didn't really look at a complete passage of scripture because you just took all of the verses having to do with courage and you put them all together and referenced them throughout the sermon. And so it was a very thematic way of preaching and teaching. Okay. We need a little courage. We need confidence. We need love. And so let's take all of the books, all of the verses that we can find on love. In fact, I can remember in one of my uh, Bibles, I think it was a student Bible you could look in the back and it would have thematic references. So find me some verses on hope. And so oftentimes, you know, when I was doing Bible study or quiet time growing up, when I had finished the Proverbs, you know, two or three times and I was like, all right, I got to have something else. All right. Well, let me have something about decision-making. And so I would go back to my little index of decision-making and I would read all of the single verses about decision-making I don't know. I mean, I guess that's one way to do it, but you're missing like the whole complete, not only literary structure of these books and the fact that they're different types of writing, but also the whole context that they were written in. And so you're missing like huge, huge things about what the Bible is and what the Bible isn't. Yeah. And I, you know, I go back and forth on that, especially because I'm, I'm such a historical critical you know, reader yes. of everything. But so for me, this whole little Instagram Bible study thing has been difficult in some way to, to make it public because, you know, I have these free thought associations with text, but then at the same time, like last night, you know, with the Matthew communion passage, I, you know, I was, I was also at the same time as I'm reflecting on taking communion on Tuesday afternoons in, in college, I'm also reflecting on the way that the author of Matthew chose to use that word bread in Greek. It, it's more like a crouton, you know, we hold up like a loaf of bread and uh, 
the meeting there is more like, you know, like a little, uh, little sliver of bread, if you will, you know, and, and for me, that's where I, I really also enjoy the Bible, you know, in terms of hopping into these really, you know, silly rabbit holes of, of scholarship and, and then again, you know, accessing my own privilege and saying, well, you know, I, I enjoy this because of, you know, the scholarship that's been done by these white males and this and this, and this, you know, kind of following yeah. that trajectory and, and realizing that's not the end all be all. And, and you can't just read, you know, the, this part of Genesis with the documentary hypothesis and, you know, Wellhausen and Von Rad and all those you know, scholars we hold up and, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting time. And that's why I have so many problems with Bart and the post Bartians, but that's another. And that's, that's maybe a whole nother episode. <laughs> well, I was thinking that's, you know, we had these intensives, these January intensives in seminary that you could sign up for. And so I did Ephesians in a week. We were in class, I think from seven thirty to three thirty. no, more like five thirty. 30 oh, yeah. every day. And we did one chapter a day. 7.30 to 5.30. And I'm thinking, good gracious, like we never do this in the parish setting. We never take the time to study this so deeply and to talk about uh, not only the historical critical, but also the literary and also um, the manuscript analysis of, you know, in Ephesus isn't in a lot of those uh, manuscripts that we have. And so doing that work of deep study is really important, I think. Especially yeah. when you when you study the whole book together, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. passage after passage, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, and that's one of the things I do think that we've been missing because of the rise of curriculum. And, and but you know, I I'm trained as a curriculum specialist. I appreciate curriculum. I've written curriculum Man. for Sunday school lessons, for youth group, for all kinds of different things. I, I think it has a place, but I think what's happened is that we've had an overemphasis on the curriculum. And so we need to balance that back out with teaching people how to approach actually the Bible and the biblical text because people are scared of it. And this is one of the reasons that there, there's been a rise in the upper room apps or the daily meditation apps or these kinds of uh, blips to get your daily quiet time in, right? Take five minutes to read this scripture and meditate on this scripture. There's a reason that those things are successful. Or I was thinking, you know, for me, I have a Thomas Merton a daily meditation kind of thing. And it's just snippets from his journals, but it's divided up into each day. It's one page to read. And then you're supposed to reflect on that. That's a really attractive structure for someone who is busy with work, with kids, with life, with family, with all of these things. Like I just, if I read this one section, then I've gotten my Bible study in. Yeah, totally. I can check that off, right? That's and, something I've done for today to make myself a good Christian or a good disciple. And it's so interesting as we wrap up here because, you know, with, gosh, in, in the news late, lately, it's been this uh, big part about biblical literacy because the president tweeted that, you know, that, that our schools need more biblical literacy and, and uh, it's ignited this major debate. And I, I think it's fascinating because people who say, yes, you know, we need biblical literacy in schools. Like they're going to go to uh, some sort of a curriculum guideline. Yes, they are. That's, yes. Like, okay. Well, not... you, you want to do this? Let's do this. Let, let's start with Genesis and, and knock this out. Um, 
you know, and I think that's fascinating because, you know, uh, like on the campaign trail, when he was asked, what's, what's your favorite Bible verse? And he said, well, I like an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And to me, that shows a complete lack of you know, biblical literacy, not, not saying the president is a hypocrite. Um, but, you know, the, the idea that you can, you can throw out terms like being biblically literate um, and, and that being a catchphrase these days, well, you know, whatever your persuasion, liberal, Democrat, whatever. I mean, liberals are just as bad as Republicans when it comes to, you know, misquoting Jesus and, and you know, throwing out a, a, a social justice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesus said, love everybody. And it's like, well, he also said, I came with a sword, you know, like there's some problematic stuff and he, he kind of shuns women. He's, you know, it was, I don't know, depending on how you, you want to read how woke Jesus was, it's, it's a pretty interesting, uh, you know, pathway to, to follow. And I'll, I mean, I'll say from the preacher kind of standpoint, how many of us in preparing our sermons just read commentaries about the passage and don't actually wrestle or meditate on the passage itself? I mean, I have to confess that I have more than once ended up uh, with a sermon and then realized, wait a second, what does the passage actually say? Because I'm just reading what other people have written about it and then kind of, uh, you know, com- com- compiling it and doing free association with these commentaries instead of actually with the text. And I think that's one of the steps that we often forget. I remember it from my preaching class. I remember the discipline of sitting down with the passage and asking questions about the passage and all of these things that I was taught. But in the week to week preparation of having to produce a sermon, you forget about that step a lot of times. Because why would, you know, that's not, that's not going to be a part of the sermon. That's not going to be part of my manuscript. So why I just need to go to the commentaries. That's what I need to do. Well, it just reinforces, you know, the point that the Bible really isn't at the center of most churches, (laughs) you know, especially, uh, you know, churches that are are very active in the community or or churches that are not very active in the community. Um, You know, we read it, we, we, we might read, you know, snippet from Psalms or Proverbs, um, you know, we'll, we'll do some gospel stuff, preacher will preach out of Corinthians, but, you know, otherwise it's, it's, it, that's the boring part. You know, we want to hear the music. We want to, you know, we want to feel the, the feeling and the Bible is kind of like, you know, the, the text that rolls at the beginning of a Star Wars movie, you know, like you can read it and it really helps you understand what's going on, or you can just kind of skim over it and, and, uh, eat your popcorn and talk to your friend or, or check your, your Instagram while that's going on. Cause it's, you know, it's just boring text. Um, you know, and I, I feel like the Bible gets treated like that a lot, uh, especially today. Less literate in general. Yeah. Yeah. Not to end on a sour note, but. But we, ha- I mean, these are the things that we need to address. You know, we need to address, Uh, the approaches that we've taken. I've had many people, you know, in an ecumenical setting, because I am at a seminary, talk about this very same thing and their Protestant denominations. This isn't something that's just in the Baptist world. This isn't something that's in the UCC world only. This is something as a whole that I think a lot of people are feeling, you know, we need to get, get back to the basics, right? Uh, let's get back to the actual Bible and, and to the communities that came together to wrestle with what does it mean that this person came? What does it mean that this 
a community called this person the living word of God or the word of life or the bread of life? What does this mean? I really think that that's our roots and we've strayed pretty far from that. Yeah. And see, I imagine that these these early communities were not communities where we answered a question one, two, three, and all agreed with each other. I imagine that they were very heated debates, that people got really worked up and walked away from the table or walked out of the room. And then when they finished their discussion or their reading or their meditation time or whatever it was, it was the Eucharist and the communion that brought them back together around the table to commune together. Yeah, I mean, like we don't know, we don't know what all this, you know, this one practice, right? The breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. And so let's end with that to bring us back together after we've, you know, chewed each other's heads off. That's what I imagine it it was at least. Yeah. Unless you're Paul. I mean, he really doesn't talk about the Eucharist too much. You know, it's it's more the spirits of the gift or the the gifts of the the spirit and the body of Christ, you know, down mode. I mean, yeah, but of course we do get Philippians, but but I I mean I would say that a lot of pastors and preachers even shy away from the language that Paul uses oftentimes that is rebuking and uh, you know what my students would have called fussing at people. You know we we just water it down into these bite sized exactly like you said little medicine tablets that we can take to make ourselves feel better. Yeah, and and. You know, again, it just goes back to getting in there, actually reading it and, and interplaying with that text and not being afraid of it. And not being afraid of having conversations with people who are going to have a different take on it. No, and, and that's ultimately that's what I'm trying to do here with the whole Instagram thing is just say, like, look, you can uh, you, you can read this. You can read along with me or you can read it however you want to, but, like, don't be afraid of it. And every time I do a Sunday school series, whether it's, you know, 18 months on Acts or, you know, two weeks on Genesis. Like it, it, it's, it's just giving or helping people to realize they have the freedom to do this. And yeah, we as Baptists cherish that. And that's part of our tradition to tell people, um, you know, don't be afraid of this. You can preach God, you can read the Bible. And, uh, you know, it, it's not easy, but uh, yeah, you can do it. And there's great resources out there. Don't, don't feel like you have to rely on someone because, you know, that's what you've been told all your life. And even as we say this, if people do want to follow you on your Instagram Bible study, where can they find you? Uh, they can go to Instagram.com slash mneely5. That is not right. <laughs> no, just Sam Harrelson, um, all one word. And uh, yeah, I'm on there. It's, it's public. And then your um, your Google Doc is on samharrelson.com, right? Yeah, if you go to samharrelson.com, there's a, a link there to, uh, I, I forgot what I called it, Sam's Bible read-through or something. I, I, had, I had this whole idea. Um, I, I've been working on a, a podcast series kind of around this too. There was some talk of that last year, like the Geek Testament and kind of doing a little snippet of, of podcasting or audio about you know, actually what I'm reading. And uh, I'm still working on that. It's, it's, it's in... It's in a development, if you will. So <laughs> we'll see what happens in the new year. It's on the art board. Yeah, with uh, you know twenty other projects and a new child and all that fun stuff. So, and and I'm sitting here out of my window 
here in this new podcast studio looking at uh, what was the uh, South Carolina Insane Asylum um, here on Bull Street. So it's, it's kind of fun looking at that while, while talking about all these great ideas I've, I've had. Uh, and, you know, that being kind of a good reminder not to <laughs> go crazy with, uh, with, with, with too much... Um, you know, too much enthusiasm for things I'm not going to ever get done. But. So we can only hope that today's passage tonight on Instagram will be the demon-possessed uh, person living in the hills. Yeah, I, we're, we're a little bit past that. We'll get back to that in Luke, but uh, yeah, we're, Jesus is about to go get crucified in, in Matthew, so Oof. we'll see what, what comes up tonight. Well, thanks for podcasting. Well, thanks for podcasting as well. I'm no, I'm no Thomas Whitley, but you know. You got to have somebody on the other side, right?